In a surprise move, the Archdiocese of Harrisburg put out its own list of accused predator priests. Will it be enough to block the blowback from a coming grand jury report? Let's get the inside story. Good morning and welcome to Inside Story. I'm Tamala Edwards. Let's get you introduced to our panel, surrounded by gentlemen today. We'll start with Government Affairs Exec David Dix. Good morning. Good to be here. Foreign Policy Analysis Analyst Ed Terzanski. Good morning. Good morning. Lawyer Rich Negren. Good morning. Hi, Tamala. And Jeff Jubilee, a communications exec. We got it all covered from law to foreign policy to how to say it all. <laughs> Which really does apply to this first story. So for a couple of years, the state of Pennsylvania, the AG is working on this report, looking at six archdiocese communities, not the ones in Philadelphia, they already had their report, but six in surrounding areas. Some of them fought back, in particular Harrisburg was trying to shut down this report. The state Supreme Court said, no, it can go forward. Some names of two dozen people may be redacted, but it's coming out either this week or next. And then in a surprise move, the Bishop of Harrisburg this week comes out and says, Here, here's our list, 71 names, three times more than maybe what people had expected. Mm. We're going to scrub the names of anybody engaged, scrub the names of bishops going back to 1947, apologize and lift confidentiality agreements. Mm. Is this enough to protect Harrisburg? Has he done enough to say, we're trying to get on the right side of, of this after fighting it? This is an emotional calculus that you're, you're engaged in. Is it enough? Look, it is heartbreaking. And I, I speak as a Catholic. It is heartbreaking to see what had happened and the very poor initial response of the church. And I think what is happening is the church is always competing with people's perceptions of bad behavior in the past in terms of cover-up. The cover-up, in many respects, mm. is equal to the crime. Mm. Because you expected that yeah. there would be some sort of justice, especially once the heinous nature of the crime was known. So it's, it's just unfortunate that we keep on getting into these high crescendo, high drama moments where the church, in the end, doesn't heed its own advice over time to say bad news doesn't get better with age. Right. Come clean, say you're sorry. Now, this much has to be recognized too. Just because your name's in a report doesn't right. mean that you're it's an guilty. Accusation. So we yeah. still have to be sensitive to that. But I think the weight of bad behavior over the past makes all of this much more complex. Yeah, I think there is guilt to be laid. I think the, the Catholic Church has to accept some of it because they've protracted this process so long yeah. and they waited to the essentially last minute to yeah. release these names. Erie Diocese did something similar where about a month and a half ago they went and proactively released a list of names of folks who have been accused. And you still have four other dioceses who have not done that, that action. And, and we should say those are Allentown, Greensburg, Pittsburgh, and Scranton. Allentown is scheduled. As, as said, they are going to release names in, in, in advance. But you so could have released of names course. when these names Listen, came up. You yeah. could have been of proactive when, the, when these initiatives. I give, you know, from a public Jeff, relations perspective, yeah. This is my question because they've yeah. got this list, but even as they're putting it out, they're saying the names on their list may not be the names exactly. in the grand jury That's report, right. that there's a more historic going back 
So in the end, the two lists might not They're even, not they may still be staying around directly, current events. Whether it's enough, it's not enough no. because the names estimated is somewhere around 300. Yes. Yeah. And they're only releasing, I think, 70 and the more historical. Kudos to A.G. Josh Shapiro here. One of the most interesting parts of this for me is when the Archdiocese have been fighting him tooth and nail, both legally and uh, uh, directly, um, he tweeted at the, the Pope, Pope, which I <laughs> yeah. thought was extraordinary. What a great use of social media <laughs> in the modern age. Wrote a letter, but also got some action, I think, based on the fact that he, that he shined a light on this internationally. We should clarify, it's 300 names across all six archdioceses, right. not just right. there in Harrisburg. There are two dozen priests who are saying, wait a second, if you put this mm -hmm. thing out, I'm accused in the court of public opinion. I yeah, never get an opportunity. I can write something. Yeah. It does me no okay. good. The states Cardinal Bernardine in Chicago. The, you had well, somebody who came forward who had this, this uh, psychotherapy through uh, hypnosis, wound up accusing Bernadine. He stood convicted in the court of public opinion. It turns out not to have been true. No, but, and, and, but let me say, there is due process. But the, the answer, and it's what's going to come out, is there will be names that will be redacted in the report. Mm. And that's the right way to go about it. There should be due process. And we have to understand, and the public has to understand, as a grand jury is almost like just offense, there is no defense in that report. So should it just be those two dozen names redacted? I is think it okay to you, put all I 300 of these names the propensity out? of, not evidence, if you will, but if you have a legitimate, according to the court of law, according to the judge, claim that says, I am innocent of this, and you're going to put yourself out there and, and, and say that and, 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 and so forth, then you do have a right to have your name redacted at this point. But, but what should the state Supreme Court, when they take the case up in September, what should their standard be for whether or not it gets to stay redacted or whether or not it should come out? I yeah. think they should err on the side of transparency and openness. Yeah, and I think that we keep talking about one name or 36 but names with 70 names, but this is an institutional problem. As hey, if as somebody accused you, you mean to tell me that you'd say in the in the It is clear also as a Catholic, it is clear to me that we have an institutional problem, but, but, and the institution has yeah. failed me as a member yes, of the church. Yes, but are we going to throw in everybody the, under, the, uh, under the bus Regardless of the weather, no one has guilty. been thrown under the bus yet. Yeah. You know, no, we haven't, we haven't had transparency yet. The, the Catholic Church has been wrong on this. They <laughs> continue yeah. to fight against transparency. Right. And I'm saying that Attorney General Shapiro will will ensure that there will be transparency yeah. in the very next. But I think if, you're, if there's evidence that you there's a clear we don't know, I think they, there is some due process for individuals, not the church. Believe right. me, I'm not let's, defending let's, the church. Let's come full circle to where we started, which is obviously the Bishop of Harrisburg trying to figure out a way, is there something to hold on to? If I do this, will it be enough? When this report comes out in the next matter of days, we saw what happened in Philadelphia, sort of the crisis down to the soul of the church here. What's gonna happen when these 300 names hit? What does it mean for the church in this state? I, th I think more than the 300 names, particularly in Harrisburg, you're seeing bishops' names removed as, as, as uh, on schools and hallways and different places yeah. um, from chapels, and that is the, that, that's what I think is unprecedented. Here's, is, is, is the culpability you among bishops who have covered this up. Presupposes that is it enough means you've done this and you don't have to do anything more. Yeah, it's just in the fact, it is only the beginning. Yeah, because yes. in Philadelphia, it's the beginning of healing. We had a very mm. long process of the, the lady being engaged. Mm -hmm where we had facilitators came out, we had long discussions, and we changed how business is done. We continue to work on this because the hurt hasn't gone away. Quickly, the battle, will the law change? Right. Will Republicans right. and Democrats step up 
and change the statute of limitations by which individuals who have claims until they're beyond 50 years old or beyond mm -hmm. 30 years old, depending on when it happened, have the right to file suit and those folks be held in uh, accountable. Yeah, accountable. Yeah. Thank Let's you. talk about something that happened here. Uh, Fifteen judges have come out to say they don't like something the Justice Department did. There was an immigration judge mm -hmm. deciding a case that looked like somebody was going to be deported. But he said, I don't know if this person has been receiving the notices that they need to be coming to court, they need to do something. Let's do something called an administrative closure, make sure these briefs go out. There had been a move at the Justice Department to restrict things like this, and in fact, they pulled the judge, sent somebody else who did one hearing, and deported the person. And these judges are going, no, 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 this is politicized. This is not following where the law should take you. Are the judges correct, and is this something to be disturbed about, or is this something that Jeff Sessions should have done? You know, Tamara, I agree with the judges here. I've been a lawyer more than 20 years, and I wasn't aware that the immigration courts were under the direct jurisdiction of the Attorney the General, Department. which makes no sense. If you look at the independence of the judiciary, yeah. you look at our separation of powers, they are more like Title III judges or federal court mm -hmm. judges or administrative judges than they are uh, a prosecutor under the Department of Justice. Um, there's there's going to be no appetite for it right now, but I think at some point in the future we have to look at changing that structure and putting our immigration courts under our judges so they can truly be independent. To my Republicans, even if you agree agree with the idea. Is this a move that gives you pause? Is it, as the judges said, an over-politicization of something that should really just be legal? No, because I they're not Title III judges that we're talking about. They, they, these are judges who are appointed. They are administrative judges appointed by the Department of Justice. And it's, it's the law as it is currently constituted now. To Rich's point, if you want to change the law, we can have that discussion. But I, but I, what about I a changing of traditions and norms? If we weren't doing this, should we be bothered that we're doing this now? No, I think that given the problem that we currently have, what is happening is there's a concerted effort on the part of various parties, not all working together, to overwhelm the immigration system so that you can bring it down and in effect have open borders. Department what, what, of Justice is charged with not allowing that to happen. It's just interesting that you can do it in the middle of a case. Mm -hmm. You can actually remove a judge during the process. In order to control the outcome. Yeah, that, that's right? what that's concerns smells. me yeah. about precedent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. who else, that, I mean, Rich is an attorney, yeah. uh, you're an expert, you're experts. We didn't know, or I didn't know at least, you yeah. didn't know yeah. that these were employees. Mm -hmm. You did, <laughs> Rich, Justice you get the A, yeah. that they were, but I don't think most people know yeah. that they were, and that's, that's a little that's scary. Right. Let's talk about something going on. We've found out that in Pennsylvania and New Jersey, a number of people, you get a moving violation, uh, a parking ticket, all of a sudden fees and other things are tacked on, mm. you lose your license. And people are saying there's a movement in Harrisburg to stop this, other movements. Should this go forward, and it, some people are saying, you know, it's, it's almost like going back to the age of Dickens where you are penalizing people for being poor. Debtor's prison. Or debtor's right. prison. Yeah. Or should you say, you know what, yeah, if you had paid that $27 charge up front, you wouldn't be here. Yeah. So it's kind of on the person who didn't pay. How to look at this. Listen, I, this has to change. Right. I mean, it's just, it's, to take people and to bury them even deeper, let's say they made a mistake, but to give them no opportunity to make it out because of technicality, mm. you put a foot wrong here, so now I'm going to start whacking you with charges that I know you cannot yeah. pay. Mm. I, I don't think that the American spirit of redemption, <laughs> certainly not the, spirit, the Christian spirit of redemption, but the American idea of giving people a chance and treating
treating serious matters seriously. Yeah. It, I, I think all of that winds up having violence done to it by having people tripped up over technicalities. Yeah, so what does that mean? Should the fee stay the fee for a longer period of time? You shouldn't have to come to payment. court. What should they that do? The parking payment authority plans. is a model. Right. Yeah. Who would have thought that? Um, something to the effect of do a little. Yeah. Community service. There's always yeah. something yeah, people can do. Yeah. And believe me, there are scoff laws that deserve to be punished. Sure. But you have to look at individuals, and there is a way that they can contribute and give back without being, there's no way they're going to pay $200 or $300. It's working across purposes of what you're trying to accomplish, right? right? So someone can't pay their costs, so you take away their driver's license, and now they can't work. They can't work. get a job. Right. They right. can't yeah. get a job, they can't work, and they policy. can't pay their costs even further. Yeah. It makes no sense. I love the idea of community service. Mm -hmm. I think it makes well, sense. And it's a rare moment of bipartisanship. Yeah. One of the sponsors of the legislation, there are, I think, five Democrats, four Republicans, or vice versa, is Stuart Greenleaf, mm -hmm. yeah. Montgomery County Republican, who is help, help, leading the charge here. Yeah. Um, Medical marijuana. We saw some dispensaries open up this week. People were having parties, DJs, lines around the block. It is did, the going thing. Did you see thing. it firsthand, Tim? I did not. I was in bed when this was going on. Um, but the issue for many people is who gets to grow this stuff and gets to make the revenue. We've now got, as of this week, 25 grow farms. 13 new permits were put out. In our area, there's one now in Pottsville and Chester, two in Berks, mm -hmm. and two local legislators are saying, wait a second, people in Philadelphia could use some jobs like this. Sure. Wait, why isn't Philadelphia getting these things, and is there anything that can be done? Well, the, the zoning makes it really difficult. Yes. As, is, as the law kind of states, you can't have a grower processor within a thousand feet of a school or yeah. a church. Or, and we live very close to each other. And, right? and we're very close yeah. to each other. Schools so everywhere. The density, yeah. kind of, the density and the zoning laws kind of prohibit Philadelphia from having a grow processor site what the size. What about the Navy Yard? What about some place where there, you know, there's yeah. like... You need, all, a, you need an applicant that willing... Support. Yeah, the community support. But an applicant who's willing to invest yeah. that type of money to get the space that they would need at the Navy Yard to grow a process. Yeah, you know, spaces are just it, it's, it's difficult yeah. in Philadelphia. Yeah. Did you saw the, I'm oh, sorry, David, good. four out of five applicants from Philadelphia were immediately rejected for having incomplete applications. So yeah. let's, let's just say that it's it might not that all be the It's also important to note there are, there are Maybe they were sampling the product right, when right, they put together right. the application. Well, this is also important. There are Philadelphians who have gotten licenses in other parts of the state. So Philadelphia is a part of this medical marijuana movement. The other part that's kind of gotten less, um, less, less conversation, I guess, is this, that now that marijuana is legal and profitable, what about so many people who have, who have gone on the wrong side of the law yeah. because of their interaction with marijuana and finding mm -hmm. pathways from an illegal process into a legal process is the one that we could all work for. And legalization right. overall. For yes. All the champagne corks and partying suggests <laughs> that it's really not medical marijuana oh, people are interested in. <laughs> it's, it's the recreational. Well, they and flower came this week. Yeah. Yeah. Right, well, so, if you don't like the smell, get ready because <laughs> oh. you're not going to be able to avoid it. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break and be right back. 6ABC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Welcome back to Inside Story. I'm Tamala Edwards. Let's talk a little bit about a debate over what's going to happen with a perennial difficult issue in the city. People who have pensions, will they be funded? The mayor came out this week and said, now that we've negotiated our various union deals, we've gotten some people to put more in the program, new people to the program, we'll end up with less benefits, essentially. We're capping the payments, and we're going to also put money in from sales tax. We, by 2029, should be 80% of the way to where we need to be. Mm. And a lot of people rolled their eyes and said, right now we're at 45% and we just don't think 80% at this rate is going to happen. Uh, those of you who've worked in the government, 
who's, you know, is, is the mayor a little too rosy in his opinions, you know, or? Our leaders should be aspirational, but not delusional. Uh, um, 80% would be phenomenal. How you get there, uh, nobody sees that. There hasn't been that spike and that change in the pension battle in the last 20, 30 years. 45% funded is horrible. We're not gonna be able to pay retirees. We're not gonna be able to pay lifetime city employees when it comes time for that retirement. Um, I, I hope he's right. Um, I hope we get to something like 80. I hope we get to 100 someday. Um, if we can do it as quickly as 2029, that'd be amazing. But um, count me as optimistic, but skeptical. But should he even say it? Because if you set the expectation. Not without a plan to get there, right? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, if you yeah, want to be yeah. at 80, give me some details on how you you, you plan to achieve Are that, these right? details enough? The, the, the They're not. I mean, that's the last time we had a chance to uh, significantly contribute to our pension fund when was, was when the city was considering uh, the sale of PGW. And that was the last time you would yeah. have the assets that would be, you know, bold enough, strong enough, enough money to really make a significant dent. Since then, unless you have a bold plan like that, I don't really see where you get the revenue necessary to close that gap. Listening to Pika and and experts from Moody's say that's not realistic. You tend to, and they have no beef with with the mayor. The other thing, people are living longer. It's not just that you negotiated four contracts. Kudos for doing that. People are living longer, and you also have. they're pension adjusted, they're not bonuses, but they're, they act mm-hmm. like bonuses to account for cost of living increases, and those are in there as well. People are living longer. It just doesn't add up. All right. Let's talk about something that could hopefully be a positive for a famed local university. Yeah. Cheney University announced a partnership with Thomas Jefferson University, and they have been facing losing their accreditation and they said this is going to put us on a different Mm -hmm. road they're going to have an institute for the study of african-american life their students will have access to the medical graduate studies there at thomas jefferson starbucks part of this as Mm -hmm. well saying we will invest we'll get other business to come in does this turn the page for cheney is it enough yeah, it's definitely a pivot in the right direction. I mean, Cheney, as we all know, is the nation's oldest historically black college institution, right? A lot so, of famous alum. A lot of famous alum, but really, when you think about the fabric of America, have we developed? Um, education has been key to that, and Cheney has been at the, at the precipice of educating our nation's African-American population. So, I mean, it's a good move. It's definitely a pivot in the right direction. Kudos to all those involved, particularly their board, to kind of get this partnership. And Jefferson is really making, you know, real strides in creating partnerships and acquisitions that are that are really seeing uh, huge long-standing benefits for this region. You're a board member at Jefferson. Mm-hmm. What do you think, in a larger sense, people may not get that they're going to get out of having come in to help save the day? So Governor Wolf is very concerned about something that also concerns us at Jefferson, and that is the fact that Philadelphia has the worst severe poverty rate of any major American cities. Yeah. The life discrepancies are the worst by mm-hmm. zip code in Philadelphia of anywhere in the country. And the nutrition problem is more severe. We're trying to find ways to engage shareholders so that we can address the practical questions of how do we we narrow that gap and how do we get people healthier, better health care, better nutrition, longer Mm lifespan. So that was Jefferson's interest. The governor approached our our president and CEO, Steve Clasco, who's a visionary when it comes to addressing these health issues, to give Cheney an opportunity to be part of it, but recognize this, this will be rigorous work. Mm And it's got to get done. It's interesting you say that because if you look at where Cheney is, they were down to 700 students. Mm -hmm. The attitude about who could get in, not that rigorous. 
They that want position. to change. They want to become more of a premier university. Mm -hmm. Can they do that? Can they can they get themselves yeah. from? Well, this is certainly a step in the right direction. I love this move by Jefferson, and I credit uh, Clasco, who I think is a visionary. I think you're right. You know, they just merged with uh, Philadelphia University. Right. Um, so Jefferson is really becoming something quite special in this region. They're marrying the medical studies with um, the design, fabric design and fabric design piece over something at Philly Something for everybody. And Very creative. creative and so forgets the STEM piece of this as sure. well. Yeah. There's an employer, and I apologize, they deserve credit out there, I can't remember its name, who's going to be providing right. jobs and internships yeah, and, really and Starbucks. Corporate Ameri corporations coming on board too. This is a model for other right. to schools think and universities. About down to the last minute, Starbucks, their foundation was part, you know, they had the big blow up sure. in the store sure. here. I thought it was interesting that they got in there. Is this smart on their part to sort of show, okay, you saw the negative, but now you're going to see us do yeah. something in this community as long as it's that was really positive? Right? So we can't have a flash pan. You get involved in this right. chainy, you know, uh, Jefferson merger. It can't be no, one and done. It has yeah. to be one that's it's sustained. It seems like it. It seems like their uh, their their uh, commitment to this region is the one that's sustained. So I look forward to seeing that continue. This, yeah. is, this has got to be not just sustainable. But it's got to be rigorous, it's got to be scientific, mm -hmm. and the problem for American higher education, they got away from rigor in favor of therapeutics. Mm -hmm. That's why all of higher education's in trouble. Cheney had that same problem. Mm -hmm. uh, Jefferson's giving us, them an opportunity to work together mm -hmm. on something where hard science is going to come into play. All right, well, we got to take a hard break because we got to pay the bills. Going on to a commercial, we'll be back with Inside Stories. BC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Welcome back to Inside Story. Time now for our Inside Stories of the Week. David, we'll start with you. Well, Philadelphia has often been on racialized fault lines, particularly when it comes to criminal justice. None more evident than the recent Center City stabbing and the uh, charges drawn against Michael White, a 20-year-old college student. Uh, recently, the uh, the district attorney reduced those charges, and it looks that like uh, Michael White will be able to post bail um, tomorrow and, and be released from jail until his trial starts. I think that's a move in the right direction because there is so much unknown about this case right now, and I look forward to uh, truth and justice prevailing as we move forward. All right, Ed. Tam, one of our own is in trouble, so Philadelphia, pay attention to this. Peter B-R-A-J-A-K, B-I-A-R-A-J-A-K, one of the 40,000 Sudanese lost boys who were orphaned as a result of that civil war, came here as a ref refugee legally, learned English, graduated from Central, from LaSalle, got a degree from the Kennedy School, started a PhD program in Cambridge, went back to South Sudan as part of a World Bank operation last week, has been imprisoned. It's really important that we reach out in a meaningful way to let the government know, our government, that they have to protect this man. There's a hashtag, free Peter B-R, B-I-A-R. And by the way, get in touch with your congressmen, your senators, and also send President Trump a tweet. He's done a great job of bringing back people who have been imprisoned. We've got to raise the volume to save this man's life. Okay, Rich. Tim, hate crimes are on the rise across mm -hmm. the entire nation. This week, the Southern Poverty Law Center reported that here in Pennsylvania, we have 36 registered hate groups. 36, that's more than Alabama, more than Arkansas. Ouch. We've got a friend in Pennsylvania, can't stand for hate. This is no place for hate. Let's pay attention to this issue. Hate crimes are on the rise. All right, 15 seconds. All right. 
Uh, last year, the, the, the number one, two, and three counties that had more gains in Democratic voters, all here in this region, Montgomery, Delco, and Chester, the ones that Republican gains, Westmoreland and Washington. Tale of two states, west and east. All right, goodbye. Have a good week.